Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. This is Almerin Radio. The President of the United States had a uh, press conference yesterday and um, about Afghanistan. We talk about it here all the time. And so much made about um, much made about how fast Afghanistan, and we've talked about it here, you know, is uh, is kind of spiraling. And so um, we had a, we had a a more detailed discussion about that. Timmy sent us some information from, that uh, people put together that are in the country about the context of what we're seeing. So I'm not going to open the show. I'm not going to do anything else. Uh, I want you to hear about 30 minutes of this. And then Kim and Greg Lowe's are going to join me. And, uh, and then... We might come back to a second part of this discussion. So, uh, without further ado, the Mensa brothers talking Afghanistan on a special edition of, uh, you know, after watching the president yesterday. So, that's what this is. I thought we should comment on it, and they do. So, here you go. The Mensa brothers uh, here on a Friday, no less. And so uh, the president had a press conference uh, yesterday. I don't – yeah, it was a press – well, it wasn't really a press conference. He kind of comes out and he makes statements. But what was interesting about this was that he engaged with the media afterwards, you know, which he doesn't really go off the script. And it was kind of interesting uh, to see, you know. Did he whisper? Did he do any whisper I, I did not see any whispering. He yelled, like, uh, Although, Dave, yeah, he, he gets Dave, pissed, though. He gets pissed when you ask – when you ask him a question that he doesn't like, he gets pissed. And you can imagine them sitting in the truck going, oh, shit, oh, shit, I told you this is a bad idea. Um, but uh, so let's uh, – we'll talk about the press conference last. All right. We'll talk about the press conference last. What what I th- think people uh, are interested to hear from uh, you guys, your thoughts, um, about how bad, you know, is Afghanistan. Um, we predicted we have um, mostly you two, Tim and Jeff, that, you know, that Afghanistan is going to recede inside of its banks and it will be what it has been. 
and that um, if you, the first thing that you guys have taught me is you have to look at it as a business proposition first. People are making <laughs> people are making millions and millions of dollars on a monthly basis off of an American presence there. And Jeff's pointed out, you know, a number of times um, that you know the, what the Russians installed, you know, hung in there until they stopped sending money. And then the business deal was over, and then it was them on their own. So um, we've been the beneficiary of a lot of great, um, um, I think, a lot of great uh, insight by uh, Tim and, and and Jeff. And so I, I wanted, on the heels of the president's uh, press conference yesterday, to talk about these things. Because you're hearing people talk about the imminent collapse and rapid collapse of the Afghan government. So... Um, and Timmy was good enough to send us all a, a couple of articles, and uh, and and Tim, why don't you talk about which article you sent, and I'll, I'll put the links to both of them in this post. Because because okay. if you're yeah. if you're a reader, uh, you'll enjoy both of them, uh, and if you like reading detailed analysis of stuff, you'll enjoy both of them. Um, so tell tell us about about those articles, where you know, and and why you follow them, where they come from, and whatnot. Yeah, I got an email today from a friend of mine by the name of Franz Marty. He's a Swiss citizen who's a freelance journalist, and he's been in Afghanistan for about 10, 15 years. We never met personally, but we've been corresponding with each other for years. And uh, and he sent me basically a, an article that he had just had published that is his assessment of what's going on. And his assessment was very similar to Jeff's and my assessment about a month ago. Which, which, which is number one. There's a lot of 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 coverage in the mainstream media that makes it look as if everything's falling apart. There's you see government soldiers turning in their weapons to the Taliban, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at all that coverage, it's one incident only. Um, I've noticed that after reading Franz's articles. What what Franz contends is that the center and the core is pretty solid. The government's moved back and consolidated some villages. They've certainly lost some after some some bitter fighting, but uh, he doesn't feel like there is a significant sense of panic within the headquarters, within the capital of Kabul. And so um, it was very refreshing. And then he goes around and starts talking, using quotes from various people in Afghanistan that he's either called or his Afghans that work with him have called. And so he lets you decide. He goes, here's what they're saying from here. Here's what they're saying from there. And the overall balanced report is that things are not quite as bad as they appear on the television. So that was good. The second article I sent was from the Afghan Analyst Network. Always a great place to check. But their articles are academic articles. They are they are people who get quoted in journals. And so there's a very long, detailed article that basically says the same thing while raising the alarm of a second front. In other words, um, uh, the, the, spe- the specific, oh, I've got, I'm on the, the specific terminology that the Afghan analyst uh, network uses is a second resistance front, and that's code for the Northern Alliance. And, and the Afghan analyst network, being academics, do not like armed resistance fronts that aren't under government control. And so they go into great detail about a couple of police programs because Karzai always did never wanted to arm the tribes. And we always wanted to arm the tribes and the tribes eventually got armed. 
but then they got unarmed. And there's a lot of stinking uh, uh, back and forth about that in this article. But again, it gives you a solid sense that things are not on the verge of imminent collapse. And that was very well refreshing. So I'm back to where I was before. I had my 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 change of heart last week saying that I think that things are going to be uh, we're in for the long haul and it's going to be bloody because those, those districts that have fallen in the north were not Pashtun districts. We, they fought in the 90s. In the 90s, when the Taliban captured them, they had massive massacres. And then in the 2001, 2002, when nobody was looking, the Afghans had massacres back of the Pashtun. And now you're setting yourself up for round three of massacre in northern Afghanistan. And that's a, that's that's the tragedy that we're not going to get away from. That's going to happen. All right. So these articles, one's written by uh, the one will is Marty Franz or Franz yeah. Fran, Franz Marty. Fran, Franz Marty. Yeah. Right. It's called the title of the article is what recent Taliban advances in Afghanistan do or do not mean. And I will tell you this. I the thing I enjoyed the most was the quotes. Quotes are awesome. I mean, every time he talks about a region or a city or he quotes soldiers, he quotes civilians, he quotes business people. And I, I've, I've never seen that many quotes, you know, you know, from the region, from the, the Franz country. Franz is Swiss, yeah. man. That's, that's what Swiss dudes do. That's that typical what, Swiss really? reporting. He's a very, very precise guy. Is that a, uh, is that a national quality in the Swiss? I don't, or do I don't you think know. It's... But he's, he's a gray man. He can get – he has good language skills. He's a small, slight in stature and can pass as an Afghan. And he goes in a lot of places that I would never have gone to, even when I was, you know, flitting around the country on my own. I, he's much better at that shit than I ever was. Okay. And, he, and, he, and he's, a, he's a great asset to have and from, from, from Afghanistan, where he's freelancing still. Got it. Got it. So, um, Jeff, your thoughts. You, 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 read, you read a bunch of this stuff this afternoon. Um, so we've all just watched and then on the heels of the press conference, I mean, it couldn't be any worse. And then you read this article and it begins to break it down by province and district. What happened? Why, what happened? Mm-hmm. Your thought, your opinions so, now. Well, the thing that struck me about the, you know, the seizure of the districts, the district is about like, uh, it's a small town, really district governor is like a mayor and, uh, the, uh, it, some districts are more important than others. And if they are, they have their own warlord there. They call police chief. Like for instance, in Musakala, you know, Moses Fort there in Helmand, that was an important one. So they had a, they had a war chief there named, you know, uh, Wally Koka. I don't even remember the, the name of the district governor, but now according to these articles, and this is kind of like rings true to me, these guys have seized the, these districts, but I don't even know if they were seizures or just give ups. In other words, the army just left. Well, let me let me read your quote because I'm staring at it. A resident of a village near Chakaran also confirmed that the withdrawal was not forced, describing it. And this is and, and Tim and Jeff have described this, describing yeah. it as a trade-off right. to the, to those to those details. He and other civilians were not privy. Similar things happened in dozens of other districts. And this is the trade-off that these that Jeff you got, you've been specifically mentioning. Like the deals are already cut, which is mm-hmm. I, I was just staring at the quote as you were talking about it. Yeah, I think since 2014, Afghan um, government folks been making these moves with uh, people who are calling themselves the Taliban, and uh, I think a lot of deals already been cut. 
normally I would be worried sick about my interpreters, but my guys, my Taji men are here. You know, they're in the United States or they're in Europe. And uh, I don't I don't see I, I, I could see that even our corrupt news media would love to do some pearl clutching uh, stories about, you know, Taji men on the run, you know, and here's the story of this guy and everything. But there really isn't that there's a, like a spokesman for interpreters who he's got out a long time ago. You know, he's he's saying, hey, there's going to be a big bloodbath. But I don't see that happening. As a matter of fact. Um, you know, a Taji man. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't see a big bloodbath happening when, 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 if, when, and if the like, for instance, if they seize the majority of the districts, and in other words, the majority of the country, I don't see a lot of murders of uh, people who used to work with the Americans. Okay, so whatever whatever area the Taliban be, take, you don't right. see the retribution that. Um, in fact, I think the article talked about retribution, burning down yeah. of businesses, the ending of services. You don't you you don't see that. Why? Because I think all that stuff's already been worked out. The the, the fighting hasn't been bitter enough. You know, it's not it's not uh, there hasn't been any really big uh, you know gunfights in the last few years. There's been give ups. I'll tell you, the guy who's racking up some bodies was. Uh, the uh, the folks there in Helmand Province in 2017 2018, and they're using our stuff to do it. I mean, you know, they they would seize an area the Taliban already had, like say for instance Marja. So the Taliban would um, would concentrate to fight off the assault. When they did that, they get hit by our fucking drones, hit by predators, hit by F-15s with bombs that knocked the shit out of them, and. Uh, that's just yeah, kind of- but 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 Jeff, the Afghan police, the the local guys from that were running those tribal polices would Matt would bring those guys like sixty and eighty from Moose and other places, and they would lead those assaults back then, because they yeah. were locals that they were they- local villagers and tribal guys, and and those guys are out of the picture now. That's they got, they got they got wiped out. Yeah, it was even worse than that. It wasn't really a ideological fight. They were fighting for that drug territory. Yes, oh, you had yeah. police guys who were the main drivers. I think they're they're uh, connected to uh, Al uh, Razak, right? No, no, so, well, you know, just just for the sake of discussion, will yeah. the, will there be an ideological fight in Afghanistan? I really don't see it. Yeah, I, I would say you know the Taliban were were very ideological in the nineties, right? Uh, and my sense is that they're not uh, anymore. That's a good sense. I, I agree. You know, interesting With the exception about this whole that thing. the Taliban are going to ex- insist on Islamic Sharia law in the country, but essentially that's what you got anyway. Yeah, but but again, if the deal's been cut, um, the Taliban leadership today, my sense is, is not as ideological as they were in the 90s. And so at the very, very local, granular level, you'll have ideologues, Islamists. But across the nation, I don't sense that there's a Taliban leadership, you know, Mullah Omar and that crowd, that's going to be driving that. And so there will be isolated incidents, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be nationwide. You know, with the, with the whole discussion, I find interesting, right? Mac, forbid me to say, who cares? 
No, I didn't say who cares. Who gives a fuck? Because it makes it it hurts Timmy's feelings. Right, but of interest, <laughs> of interest, of interest. You know the people that don't give a fuck. Afghans in Kabul. Tim made the point. They're not panicking because they don't care about everything else in Afghanistan. It's never going to be a country. And if we continue to feed it, I just pulled up the world GDP map. I don't know what percent of the world has got a GDP of less than 10 billion, but it's a lot. Well, shit, we're, we're providing a couple, three, four, five, ten billion dollars. Right. We're their entire GDP. And so the people in Kabul, they can either try and have a country and in 50 years get somewhere in the fourth quintile of GDP. Or they can just not bother fighting those people out there. And we're going to continue to provide uh, life support. Yeah, well, most of the money that we put in that place went into the people who run the levers of government there in Kabul. They all got houses and uh they got estates in India and Dubai and places. Well, hey man, yeah, I got at one point Tim's buddy yeah. in Switzerland. So yeah. I mean, uh, they'll what, when, when the time is ready, they'll leave. What province were you in? Well, I was in uh, I was in like five provinces my first tour, and then I was in Helmand uh, my my second and third tour. So and I was so in, at one point. At huh? one point, who was the most? Uh, uh, pro Afghan patriot in the province. Well, I can answer that question. Hold on, I can you answer were, that question for Jalalabad. No, no, you are wrong. The oh, motherfucking I, I Afghan love, cricket that. team, the Afghan cricket team captain Z Man, who got killed by ISIS. I heard the I most pro Afghan. I heard one time Jeff Kenny describe himself. As the most patriotic Afghan in Afghanistan. Well, yeah, it's like you know, Will says Will says this shit. That Will says this shit that you said a long time ago, and who fucking remembers what I said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Mac, you they, said that. Hey, I tell you this. I, I will say this though. We I'll know that. One thing. one thing about the Afghans in Afghanistan. Do you remember when we beat the Russians in the hockey in nineteen uh, at the Olympics? Yeah, come on. Do, do you remember how excited people got, and you could even go outside and people. When Afghanistan beat India in cricket, I thought it was a Tet offensive. Jalal, that <laughs> everybody rolled outside, and started cranking off rounds. They were so goddamn happy. Afghanistan had done something, and all across that country, everybody all of a sudden liked the cricket team, which were a bunch of Pashtun dudes, <laughs> even the Tajiks. Yeah, so there, there is a country there. I bribed the Indians with money that we gave them to build schools. Oh, come <laughs> on, man. Why would you want to ruin a good story like that? Uh, because said. I've been in Afghanistan so much. That's why. <laughs> I mean, when you look at Afghanistan, if it seems good, if you peel away at it, it turns bad. If it seems bad and you peel away at it, it gets worse. It's just the way, you know, it is there. And, you know, the, that's no reason to not do it. And he's right. We gave a shit, me and those advisor team leaders under me. We were killing ourselves to try and succeed. And, uh, you know, and like my guy who I work for, he was into it. But, you know, one wrong move and the guy would have been fucking, uh, you met him. I'm just saying, you're not going to see. Yeah. The the national government is going to make no effort to be a nation. And the Taliban 
is going to be under control of their leadership at a broad level. Well, you know, Will, what you just level. said, what Will just said, it might be the fewer because the less the less governed the Afghans are, the, the longer that government lasts. The, the, the Taliban's strength and their appeal to unity is based off of Islam because they've got the mullahs. They've always had their religious high ground. The Kabul's always been the puppet government that the that the uh, infidels yeah. were sponsoring. Me, but, okay, but let me hey, let me it. so let me ask a let me ask a question. Think about it. If the Taliban take Kabul and become the national government, there's no more money. No, that's what I'm saying. They're not going to so do the that. The Taliban leadership is not going to have that fight, and the national leadership knows they can't make a country. Well, that's no. the other thing. Well, the Taliban leadership—it's not—it's not like one entity. Right. They, they are, you know, they are yeah, all. Yeah, you've got you've got several shirts. But broadly, but if they make an agreement, if they make an agreement with Kabul, what do they get? They get passports, and they can travel the world and spend their money. And those son bitches have been salting away some money because that's been a big scandal in the Taliban too. Or unless know, it was Pakistani propaganda, I well, don't know. Right. People like to say Afghans were fighting all the time for for centuries and forever. That's just bullshit. It's uh, like uh, after the know. Brits left in the 20s, they had a king and the king said, look, I'm going to leave you fuckers alone out there in the provinces. And pretty much he did. Every once in a while they had, you know, they had ceremonies and shit. He didn't tax them very much, hardly at all. He, he you know, he. He taxed the big cities like Jabad and fucking uh, Herat and things like that. But he, and he lasted until the 70s, till till you know the uh, the Russians thought Afghanistan needs to be a communist country. But, but and, uh, I, I want to go back to what Will said because I think that is the king's vision of Afghanistan, which is what what's important, Kabul. What else? Well, the, the, only thing, is, the only thing important was to keep the infidels out of this place to bother the people in the countryside and the people in the countryside be let alone to go about their business. OK, so we're going to. So, I mean, that's what you guys have been predicting. You know, right. is, is that the federal government's view that we will hold on to the major urban areas? We can do that. Right. And then the Taliban can have the no. country. No, 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 brother. The federal the, the government. Remember, the line ministries are what sends all the monies and make right. everything work in the right. country. Right. So you've got all Ex these. Explain line ministries. Ex explain the, line the, ministries. The, the, the Kabul government's order organized in a bunch of line ministries the Ministry of Agriculture, the Ministry of Defense, the Ministry of the Interior, the Ministry of Women's Affairs, most important, the Ministry of the Hajj, because they send people to the Hajj every year, whether they're Taliban or not, everybody gets a chance to go. But these ministries have been functioning in Taliban-controlled districts for years. Right. If, if the Taliban do not sweep out the government in Kabul and they come to an accommodation, they get visas and passports and the money continues to flow. But if they don't, the money stops, and then they've got problems. They're gonna, because the, yeah. the country's three times more Afghans now than there were in the 1990s. It's, okay, it's, okay, so— and most of them— so I think that if you look at the article that we all just read, you watch the press conference, right? The article says that, yeah, the optics of what you're seeing, right, low-hanging fruit, deals that already got cut, look at the no low number of casualties, those were all business arrangements. Wherever you see fighting, you see a Chamber of Commerce disagreement between two dudes, okay? So now look into your crystal ball. So as this thing continues, right, 
the the federal government has the view that we'll just articulated that the king had. You do whatever the fuck you want out there. We don't really care. We will control. We will control the the major urban areas. We'll, now, so my question to you guys, geniuses, is this: Do you think the Taliban will at some point, right, uh, get after Kabul, get after Kandahar, and the major urban areas uh, of Afghanistan uh, to rule the entire nation? They already own Kandahar. You just put. Um... Not by force, I don't think. Not by force? Jeff says no. No, Tim? I, 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 don't, I don't think they need to fight over Kabul at all. I, I, don't think anybody, I, I, I don't think anybody will because of the whores that came in the 90s because of that shit. Every Afghan remembers that. It's the one place nobody wants to go because it was ridiculous. It was killing for, ridiculous, for no reason whatsoever. But killing just to kill people. Again, they're going to try and keep Torquem Gate open, what we know as Khyber Pass. They'll try and keep that open. That means they hang on to Jalalabad. And some of the big cities, Kandahar, Masri, Sharif, Herat. They don't, they don't have Kandahar. You know? No, I mean, but, you know, they'll have comms with Kandahar. <laughs> A lot of people live there, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know. So, so, again, so do you believe that the Taliban will try to, you know, get after Kabul and take over the major urban areas? I, I, I do not, but I I don't know what kind of control they have and how they're managing the expectations of their field commanders, of whom they have a significant number who are relatively new, because we've done a good job of, of of wearing out their older guys. So they've got they've they've got to manage expectations amongst hundreds of field commanders who are controlling thousands of friggin' dudes right now. And how the hell do you do that? Normally, with very, very tight discipline, almost religious-like, but I don't think the Taliban has that right now. Yeah, and the difference is, in the 90s, they had ideological fervor. That's exactly right. And it's not clear that they have that now. Well, and so this arrangement could last for some time, and if they get that fervor back, then it'll come. But the reason it's going to last now is the lifeline that we keep pumping money in there. Well... You know what you that's true about the uh fervor, but the fervor was they don't have a tradition of religious fervor at all in Afghanistan. No, no, that was, no but in the nineties that, that, that was a function of what Timmy was saying. The horrific civil war they had after the Russians left. Right. It destroyed. I mean, they basically did a Beirut job on Kabul, even worse. Like a ninety five much worse. You know, so uh that the Taliban's reaction to that, you know, to these warlords basically destroying the country. Right. Um, but I think people now are like, you know, the Taliban, their old brand. According to this article, that article ring, rings true to me. Hey, you know, you guys, we'd like you guys to try and get to the mosque for every prayer session. And we want you to, you know, have some face hair. But, uh, you know, they're not like, otherwise we'll cut your head off. You know, it's not like that, like it used to be. Like when you were talking in the late 90s, Will, you know. So, um, all right, one more question. The Northern Alliance, does that get reconstituted as the government falls away? Do those tribes that form that um, after? And let's just say that, that the pattern runs true to form, which is the Taliban take over. Uh, they're big on, you know, their <clears throat> Sharia courts and all that. Uh, not so big on services, not so big on administration. <clears throat> and so that kind of falls apart. Um, yeah. Do you believe the Northern Alliance reforms? and? Um, 
kind of like the Kurds in the northern part of Iraq say, say look, just leave us the fuck alone, right? We'll all learn to do business together like we have yeah. for a long time. Um, but if you want to come up here and fuck around, then we're going to we're gonna start this thing again. Do you believe that's, that's in the that's cards? Good, I think that – go ahead, Timmy. The Northern Alliance is the NDS now, the National Directive of Security. The Northern Alliance has manned the National Directive of Security. They have now stockpiled ungodly amounts of weapons, and they're personal friends with – Dozens, if not more, CIA agents who've been working with them for 20 years. The Northern Alliance is going to be very capable, very, very capable. My my prediction is this. You're going to see a great game part three. Like The first great game was the Russians and the Brits. Second one was us and the Russians. The third one is going to be the Russians and the Chinese. The Russians are going to go and establish, you know, they already have a lot of influence over the stands up there. And now that we're not in the game anymore, they're going to have more. And and Putin's going to want to do that. He's going to want to go to Tajikistan and say, "Hey, let me help you deal with this uh, these this wildness down south." And then the Chinese, they're going to be they want to get into Afghanistan for you know a bunch of different reasons. But they think the more shit they got, the safer inner China is. And uh, so I think they'll you know they'll push that way. There's also a lot of talk about these rare earth metals that are somehow in Afghanistan that are necessary for like a, you know, uh, for a lot of uh, green industry type shit. And uh, so that might be a reason to go in there. Like I heard Representative Waltz, the special former special forces guy, who's a Republican congressman from Florida, talking about that. And I, I'll tell you, I've been hearing rumors of that for years. Right. But I never saw any manifestation of here's our fucking... You know, our, our whatever, what's a rare earth that's important? Uh, I, yeah, we could have just been bullshitting when we told him all that. But I'll tell you what old Franz Marty said about the northern Badakhstan where China is. Chinese don't want Afghans up there. They're, they've cooperated with the Afghan army on joint patrols, but they don't want to o- open a border crossing. They're scared to death of Islamic fundamentalism getting from the Afghan side over to their Uyghur yeah, side. It, it seems to me there actually is no such thing as an Afghan, right? There's Pashtuns, there's Tajiks, et cetera. And at some point, those areas, if there's any ethnic concentration, they can expect not a fair deal from someone who is not their brother. And so the Northern Alliance may not form again, but it's hard for me to believe that those ethnic groups are not going to eventually take control of the areas where they have a density of population and they may end up with a with another separate piece sort of thing with the government right because they're not afghans i don't think no i no nobody's an afghan except the captain of the cricket team or who's the dude that got shot was that guy's name no no the i I, no he he had a gigantic after eat uh uh, a tournament, a cricket tournament, and ISIS, ISIS blew his ass up. The guy, Z guy, he was a good guy. He was friends with my kids and shit. I, I shouldn't right. speak so irreverently. He, he was kind of a goofy kid. No, but, but no, boy, but what we're talking was, about is, is this concept of Afghanistan doesn't exist anywhere than, than on a, on a map. It doesn't exist I, for I them. Would, I, I'm telling you right now, it's not true. There, there are parts of that country that are very, very proud to be an Afghan, and the only thing they have to sink their identity on is. 
We kicked the British ass three times. We kicked the Mongols ass. We kicked the Arabs ass, and now we kicked America's ass. That's what they're going to freaking talk about. But, but, Tim, is that stronger than the relationship that they have within their clan, tribe? No. Uh, Probably not. No, probably not. It depends. You know, you got your good clans, you got your bad clans. Who knows? Right. So, but you don't have your Afghan clans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they tend to they tend to be organized along a different uh, a different system. So that's an Afghan update. Um, Hello. Greg Lotus going to join me right now. Greg, how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm good. Let me get Kim uh, on the blower right here, and uh, and we'll go. But the uh, just for everybody listening, uh, the president had a press conference, uh, much in the news about how uh, Afghanistan is going. And, uh, and so I think a little bit of clarity in terms of what you just heard that what you're seeing is business agreements by guys who carve up Afghanistan uh, and the money from the opium and money from business and all kinds of stuff. And uh, and, and so stay tuned because it, it, it's not going to go the way people in the news believe it is. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. So anyway, um, Greg Lotus and Kim Holmes joins me now. Hi, Kim. How are you? I I'm surprised. Surprised at at your uh, lack of punctuality. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's all. I'm four minutes late. No big deal. You do it every week. I'm four minutes late for Christ's sake. Yeah, sometimes forty minutes late. But that's cool. It's Mac. There, I feel better now. <laughs> right, now, he's gonna pout. now he's gonna pout i'm good now all right uh what's going on how's the weather oh the weather's beautiful partly cloudy partly rainy always mellow warm it's nice Greg, nice. we're supposed to talk so, about something, but I can't remember. What the hell were we, we talked about during the week that we were going to talk about today? Um, the new rule for college uh, sports about name, image, and likeness. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty amazing change. And if you're a sports fan, an NCAA fan, that all of a sudden now that, uh, you know, universities can – I don't even know what, what the hell can they offer. So – you got a son that's a player. You played. Uh, what is going to happen? Any idea? Well, a lot of guys have signed, like the big quarterbacks from Oklahoma. Um, you know, places like that have deals with like national chains. Some sign with degree deodorant. <laughs> some sign. Some uh, sign with Ragin Cajun food. Um, and uh, there was actually an offer for every single scholarship player at the University of Miami to receive wow. $5,000 a year to uh, do, do uh, 
social media marketing uh, for an MMA gym. So uh, there's some big money going out, and they're saying that a guy like, um, what's his name, the Manning kid that's coming up, he's only a junior, but they say he can make millions, tens of millions of dollars even in uh, in college. Okay, oh, so shit. what do you think the impact's going to be? So, but again, the the, the kind of the number of people that will be able to do that um, is going to be relatively small. What do you think the impact is overall uh, on recruiting? Um, is it big universities with donors with deep pockets? Um, are the, all are of that? They, all of that? They're because they're going to yeah. be able to offer kids. Okay, look, if you come to Michigan. Uh, Ford has a sponsorship deal for you. Um, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Is that what that all happen? I, I, I think it's going to create more separation between the haves and the have nots. But there'll be room for like uh, little schools uh, like North Dakota. There's a smaller school and stuff like that. But as far as the hockey team goes, you know, they're going to be on a different playing field than, than uh, other sports within uh, our university but well yeah but you would think though that this would really hurt north dakota and it's recruiting because you know i could go down to the twin cities and i could you know get a endorsement deal from 3m and target or i could go to madison which is a bigger town or i could go to boston college bu and 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 do this so it, it would seem to me that very high functioning you know, athletic programs that happen to be in small towns get hurt by this a lot, or at least my well, thought. Yeah, you can look at it like that, but however, uh, when it comes to donors and stuff and businesses, there's lots in North Dakota. Uh, I mean, whether it be Shields or, you know, this and that, I think overall they're going to go there for the program. And then as a secondary thing, you know, with the name and the NIL, uh, they're going to be able to add it as a bonus. Um, but I think the program is going to stand first and foremost, at least in most guys' eyes, because there isn't a lot of crazy stars. Like, they were talking that Tim Tebow could have made, like, over $15 million in, in uh, college wow. just based on, yeah, on him alone. Uh, so wow. you know you got those big big stars, those quarterbacks, and and uh, but you know there's going to be times for the women's basketball team or a golf team or swim team to go to a restaurant and sign some autographs, and then they at least can eat for free and maybe get paid a little bit or whatever, you know whatever it is. Uh, so I think it's it's about time this happened because the NCAA is a monopoly. It's like the IRS. Like, uh, right. don't mess with them, you know? Amen. Yeah, they've been they've been having their way for, you know, they've decades. They've been greedy bastards for years. Oh, with decades. And, you know, when you see, you know, somebody's jersey being sold and, you know, that kid gets a, you know, what, a $40,000 scholarship a year, throw in room and board, you know, so sixty thousand dollars, and then the university through television rights, through you know, you know, merchandise sales and all that is just yep. laughing all the way to the bank with all that essentially free labor. Uh, that's a pretty yeah. that's a pretty decent racket. Um, but it, so so you believe that that the rich will get richer, 
uh, in, yeah. in all of this. But it's just like it, it's like any other business, Mac. I mean, the, the people that do it the best excel, you know, and those that don't. I mean, that's just the way uh, the capitalism works. Well, you know, if you go States. back, if you go back to, um, you know, when John Wooden was the coach of the UCLA Bruins and they were winning all those yeah. national championships, they had a guy in Los Angeles named Sam, and I can't remember his last name, and he was the money man. And, you know, guys needed a car, guys needed a little cash. These guys, I mean, and so these, this kind of underside of college sports, now these people can come into the sunshine and say, like the gym guy in Miami, I read that, yeah. you know, and that's $5,000 for every player, blah, 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 blah. Wow. And so, and so now... These guys, especially, I mean, think about the money in college basketball. You only need a few guys to be great. And, you know, we need you boosters now to step up. I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Basketball to me is, 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 you know, I don't know if it'll change much, um, but you're going to have those those booster programs. I mean, why would you not, you know, start your own, you know, fund? And say, hey, we've got to be able to give the coach the tools that he or she needs to win. Let's go, yeah. boys and girls. So, wow. Any now? Is there any limitations uh, on what I mean? So essentially, they said, hey, this this young person has the right to sell their likeness and profit from their talents. Um, is there any limitations to it? I think as of now, it's pretty well open. I'm sure as Crazy. People do things. They'll establish some rules that are unilaterally across the board. Um, but yeah. I think for now, it's pretty much wide open, and and uh, you know there are some people that are already benefiting by it already. Kim, what's the what's the impact on betting? Greg, you're, you you uh, follow, you followed the odds betting, too. It's just it's more wide open. That's all. It's just easier to bet. <clears throat> Uh, make whatever uh, bets you want. I don't think that's going to uh, do anything except improve for the bookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think a guy like Ken who owned a restaurant would be smart and like saying, "Okay, look, I'll feed the hockey team once a week, and I'll and I'll uh, what I'll do is I'll open it up to the public and say, hey, the sewer after supper are going to sign autographs.'" <laughs> for so long or maybe once a month and uh, watch this restaurant just packed to the rafters. Well, I more, more or less did that anyway. But I didn't yeah. ask for any autographs. I just did it because I wanted the hockey team to eat. Well, yeah, Good but food. now now the marketing... Uh, the, the... But now it's a different, different kettle of fish. Yeah. I don't even know that I could compete. Or would want to. I, I just I had a nice uh, nice flow there. Uh, it was all about the student athlete and uh, and being a part of the community and uh, taking care of the players and and uh, and they would when they had time off like Greg and Matt Green and uh, and Parisi would come in afterwards have a prime rib sandwich, french fries, and a couple of beers, and shoot pool. And yep. that's where I got my jollies. 
see yeah, those you know, guys come in and use my facility. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I think North Dakota's in a – I mean, the North Dakota men's hockey team is in a very yeah. precarious situation because, you know, the the, the 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 kind of people they recruit, they're going to the National Hockey League. And, yeah. right, I mean, those that, that a lot of programs, um, you know, compete for. And now you're not going to be competitive with Boston College, with the University of Denver, because they have major urban centers with major corporations that if they want to, they can throw money in this direction. And North Dakota simply doesn't have that kind you gotta of – got to have the coaching, Mac. No, 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 no. Coaching the co- program. I, and Kim, I, I, I'm talking about the University of Denver. I'm talking about Boston College, Boston University. Yeah, you know, know. The, the the major players in this that are in big cities that have big companies that can pony up big money to to the big recruits. And I think that's I, I I'd be curious, you know, to see how that plays out because if you say all the programs have coaches. They all have great facilities, right? So I want to go to North Dakota. I grew up watching them. You know, I'm from Manitoba, but Denver's offering me, right, you know, $300,000 over the course of, you know, and North Dakota can't come close to that. So that's, that's to me, that'll be interesting. Um, and I think North Dakota's in a precarious spot. I don't know. Deep pockets, man. I just think there'd be an adjustment period, Mac. And you look at how well uh, programs like North Dakota, even though they're in a community of about 60,000 people, look how they always strive to be the best, you know, in the arena. We have the best rink. We got, we're consistently a top three program. Right. And so I think the, co- I think the coaches will adapt and somehow, some way, with those, and we're talking, yeah. you know, I know you're talking about the major urban centers, but we're talking about a handful of players. Right. Oh, you're right. That, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's, it's. are they going to be nearsighted, nearsighted and say, hey, um, Boston College is offering me t- uh, 100 grand a year for three years, uh, but my NHL contract is going to be worth this much, you know, kind of deal. Um, so do I take the money? early and or else do I you know do I mix it right I mean there's a whole lot of factors there but I can't see Brad Berry and the boys just uh you know saying fuck it we're just gonna do what we do I'm sure they'll be adapting and and finding ways to secure the top recruits in in the country right 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 right. no I don't and I don't doubt that I just think it I mean when you have a lot more resources in your community and you can go to a kid who's a you know, who's grown up either in very modest uh, economic conditions, you know, and you could say, hey, look, uh, we have an endorsement deal for you if you'll come to Boston College uh, from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and it'll pay you $250,000 a year in endorsements, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's a, you're going to, you know, that's, that's. That could change. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to change the, the the landscape of recruiting. And but again, and again, we, you know, the guys we know that um, at uh, you know at the University of North Dakota, they always find a way. But this is this is I think this is different because this is straight up money, and it makes it harder. Hey, I want to I want to both you guys know Dave Hackstall. Um, you know, he's now the head coach of the Seattle Kraken. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm curious, um, the NHL has really changed the expansion landscape because the Las Vegas Knights came into the league and were competitively competitive immediately, and um, and you know have 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 gone to Stanley Cups, have once have won a, at least one Stanley Cup, yes, and then so I my first thought when you get a job as an expansion team, well that job is safe for like six years. Um, there's because the way the NHL has has redone expansion, that job comes with some pressure at the start because I think Seattle's expectation is that. We're going to follow at least somewhat the blueprint that Las Vegas had, and we're going to be competitive right away. Uh, your thoughts on that? J- I mean, J- J-Lo. J-Lo? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do such a great job, um, you know, with the way they do it now. The expansion, you're only allowed to, uh, you know, protect so many players, so they leave guys open. They also... Uh, Vegas was known for making backroom deals uh, with a bunch of teams taking their high salary cap guys away from them because obviously they got a clean salary cap in exchange for draft picks and then trading away those picks and stuff. So I think it surprised a lot of people, um, you know, with Hack being uh, the head coach there. But, you know, when you got Ron Francis, he's a very smart man. You got. The work ethic of Hack, I think he's going to do a phenomenal job. Um, he kind of got handcuffed in Philadelphia, that's for sure. Um, yep. But but uh, as you know, in professional sports, I think he got a four-year deal, um, which you're right. They want you to be competitive right away, and they're looking for you know every year building it up. Uh, but if Vegas kind of screwed it for everyone, because if they can do it, uh, well, then why can't you? <laughs> right. You know? Right, that's why I say that job now comes with a little bit of pressure, as opposed to in the old days where, hey man, I'm I, I got like six years on this contract as long as I as long as I do okay. I, I and I remember my dad talking, um, you know, the jump. I don't care what anybody says. The jump from college sports to professional sports is a big jump. The jump from minor leagues to to the big leagues is 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 a big jump. Um, and and our friend Dave Hacksaw makes that jump. You know, I would think today now after being what uh, an assistant uh, up in Toronto for what the past two plus years, Here we um, go. yeah, and uh, and now and his experience in Philadelphia, I mean, he is chomping at the bit to get going with the, you know, with the additional wisdom that he has now, and that this is in I, I would think if I remember what my dad used to talk about when he went to be his second job as the manager of the Padres. Yeah. You know, he said, I'm ready to do this. I need to do this really well. And if I do do this really well, I'm going to prove to, you know, <clears throat> Major League Baseball that I can do this. No matter if the Padres yeah. win or lose, the way I do this, my professional reputation, you know, is going to be um, is going to be established here. But the second job is really huge for me. Kim, your thoughts on all that? I agree. I just I think it's uh, uh, for Dave to get this shot. He's uh, been through a lot at Philly. Uh, he, he he's a smart, smart guy, and he's been observing this whole time. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him to uh, to uh, get his ducks in order. And uh, 
and be very competitive very quickly. How about you, Gilo? I mean, uh, I think there's more pressure than at first meets the eye, but, I mean, this your second job is is a big deal. Somebody's, you know, yes, and again, you, you mentioned it, you know, Ron Francis, right? I mean, talk about a guy in Canada that would be known as Mr. Hockey. Uh, Ron Francis might be that guy. I mean, you look at Team Canada's stuff that he's done. You look at all that he did with the Carolina Hurricanes. And, and most importantly, though, is his reputation. He's got a reputation as just a, an outstanding guy, an outstanding hockey guy, and not only an outstanding player and an outstanding leader, but an outstanding organizational guy. And uh, you know that he researched this. But there, there certainly will be expectations because, as, as you said, Vegas screws, <laughs> screwed everybody by being so good so fast. So your thoughts on all that? Well, I would just say that um, with all those guys – they coach professional teams. Well, for sure, they got an ego, and they also want to compete. And Dave's just like that. And so, I think having this second go round, you know, you do a good job. You change the narrative of your story. You know, if you fail, then people don't look at you like, all right, it was the team's fault or the GM's fault. They look at you and say it's your fault. Right. So. Yep. There is a lot. There is a lot of weight on his shoulders, but I believe those shoulders are broad and can carry it. Right, right. And and again, what he's learned, you know, and That's and exactly right. And and again, the X's and O's stuff on the ice, I would tell you, tend to be the easiest part of that job. The way you relate to guys, the way you get the most out of them, you know, the the way you run the team. And all of that in professional sports is is huge. And I'll tell you what, if you, if you want to see a little interesting case study, <clears throat> look at the Boston Red Sox. Now, um, Joe, is it, what's Cora's first name, the manager? Alex or Joey? Alex, I think it's Joe Alex. Cora? Corey. Oh, Alex Cora. Alex, both, yeah. yeah, Alex Corey. But, so he's the manager of the Red Sox. They're in first place. All right. They were horrible last year. And many of that, um, much of that is attributed to his calming leadership, you know, his uh, the manner in which he treats people and just the atmosphere he creates makes it easy to do your job. Now, when you win, all those compliments come faster. But there's no doubt that that guy has an impact on it and, and and that is the art of a modern day coach and maybe it always been the art but now it's not so draconian and things like that it is you've got to relate to the players you've got to create an environment you you've got to have a dialogue with them and so to me the years in the league and professional players are different from college players um all that i, I would think that he would be you know really fired up especially uh, my dad, his first job was with the uh, the Oakland A's, and the guy who owned it was an unstable mess. And so he was, my dad was really excited to go to work. Uh, the president of the Padres was a guy named Buzzy Bavese. Buzzy um, was, went to work for the Brooklyn Dodgers, was uh, the assistant general manager under Branch Rickey. When the Dodgers moved to L.A., uh, he became the general manager because Branch Rickey said, I'm not going to Los Angeles. I'm staying in New York City. 
and uh, and then he left the Dodgers to to become part owner of the Padres. And my dad was so excited, and I believe you know Hack would be similar. Although Hack and Ron Hackstall had a had a great relationship, but but he goes into another great management relationship there and 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 situation, and that's a big part of this as well. The um anyway the uh, let's talk. Hey about- Mac, you you mentioned the Padres. Um, wasn't that the kid yesterday? His mother and father were in the stands. He was called up from AAA Texas, a relief pitcher, and he goes up to bat uh, late in the game and against Matt Scherzer and hits a, a salami uh, for them to win the game. Did you see it? I saw. I actually got a text about it that I turned it on and, and watched the Padres win. They were down eight to nothing. They came back and tied the score eight to eight, and they won in the ninth. Um, but, um, it, yeah, he comes up from double a as like kind of as an emergency fill in, he gets thrown into a game that they're getting blown out the blowout so bad. They don't even pinch hit for him with the bases loaded. They let him go up and hit and he he hits a home run and he crushes it too. He crushes it. And then (laughs) it's so funny later in the game, right? He's, he stays in the dugout. Right, and he's watching the game, and all these players are coming up to him, and they're just talking to him and laughing. Right, you're a pitcher; you don't even hit, and you come up here and you hit a grand, as you said, Greg, you hit a grand slam off Max Scherzer. I know. It's like, and and your parents are in the the stands watching. Hey, you need to have the press conference. You need to call it a career. You've done everything you could do. Time to go home. You know what the odds would have been for the odds would have been for him to do that. Ne- never mind, you know the the perfect Hollywood story. If you had a Hollywood story, they they say, "Oh, this is too far fetched, yeah, too hokey." Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that was that was awesome. The um, but you know what? An interesting story developing in Major League Baseball is that you know they started saying, "Hey, no more of." Uh, of uh, that spider tack, no more of any substance, blah, blah, blah. And the spin rate comes down just enough to make Max Scherzer hittable, Derek Cole hittable. So it's very interesting what's going on in Major League Baseball if you study the the analytics uh-huh. and, and some of the stuff that's going on. I'll tell you, that that home run derby in, in Coors Field with Oatani, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep the balls in the stadium. The um, I'm gonna Greg. Interesting question, Um, and Kim, your perspective as a fan. um, Would you participate in the home run derby? Because it seems like there's guys who the number of swings and how hard you're swinging it hit home runs. It's not like normal batting practice. Would you be nervous that you would you know that you would hurt yourself, or would you say yeah, sign me up? No, I'd sign me up, first of all. Um, I love those that competing part of it uh, in addition to the regular game. Um, but also, if I'm a younger player that wants to be put in the spotlight, what better way to get young uh, future you know, fans to cheer for you than to go out and win a home run derby because you know it's all over Sports Center, ESPN, your name. And then companies start flocking to you and stuff like that. So it's it's a way of That's getting right. out there, a way of getting Absolutely. out there. That you, Greg. Yeah, Absolutely. because 
you know that most of the stuff is regional, uh, Kim and Mac, for the, yeah. the games, you know, so I think it's a great opportunity. How about you, Kim, as a fan? I, I As a fan, I love I love kids uh, coming up, and every once in a while you'll see some kid who's a rookie or second year just crush him. And, uh, and then he goes to the front of the line. And uh, yeah. it it just I like it. And I just what like the opportunity these kids have. I don't think they I think they should redo the Homer and Derby to cut down on the swings, to reduce yes. uh the op- the chance that somebody might get hurt. And so I think that it should be we're not only gonna count if you hit a home run, but we're gonna count how far you hit it and we're gonna give additional bonus points. You know, if it's over 400 feet, if it's over 430 feet or something like that so that you wouldn't have players, you know, saying, yeah, you know, because that's an awful lot of swing. They go three rounds deep and, you know, X number of swings per. And again, when you're trying to hit home runs like that, it's not like normal batting practice. I know Aaron Judge, you know, what, two or three years ago got hurt. And so he said, I, I, the, the only time uh, I'll participate in it is if it's in New York City. Other than that, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do that. So I, I just think that the Players Association and Major League Baseball ought to sit down and say, "Hey, look, how do we get the best guys?" Because, you, I mean, if you could get the best guys, it'd be really cool. Otani, Judge, all these young, you know, faces of baseball. Yeah. That's what you're trying to market here. Well, Guerrero, all right. those guys, right? You know what I mean, like you incentivize it and and stuff. But you're right, you got to get. If you're going to hold an event like that, and uh, you know that that's one of the things that they actually sell out is uh, a lot of times is the home run derby because everyone wants to go in the field and catch a ball. It's a great opportunity for you to do that. Um, but also, it's the only game in town that night, right. so the TV, TV goes up and everything. But I just think yeah. with the amount of swings and stuff, it, it also takes a little bit too long. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, and. Um... It's interesting that weekend or, or those the All Star Game. Um, I think until they put the Homer and Derby in, and even the day after the All Star Game, the day after the All Star Game might be the only day all year where there's no major professional sports playing. The NHL, the NBA are all done. Major League Baseball takes a day or two off to travel, uh-huh. and football hasn't started yet. And so yeah. it's so you turn on ESPN or something like that. And there's no, there's nothing to watch. It's only it's only commentary. Uh, so you know that's an opportunity. I think baseball is going to hold their draft and and do some other stuff to try to. But but and my point being this, it, it's the one stretch of the baseball season that's not overlapped by another season. So you need your young marquee players to to, to be out there and be the face of baseball in order to market your sport, right? In order to leave a bigger boom. So you want them to participate. So you would think that if if there are concerns about the wear on tear of my body, because because if you look at you know Aaron Judge, he's going to come up for arguably the biggest contract, his second contract that that he'll ever negotiate, and so there's a lot of reasons, a lot of financial reasons why if this is going to tax my body, uh, that I wouldn't do it, which is bad for baseball's image, Uh, or or there it, it. bad for their opportunity to showcase these young I mean Aaron when you see Aaron Judge Otani Guerrero right it's what you want to market to young America to grow the sport yeah and if those guys Tatis, 
Yeah. Oh, that guy is, I mean, you know, you see all the stuff they do now but with the bat flips and um, and the music and all the crazy, you know, all the craziness that surrounds <laughs> the sport. But again, that's what, that's how you're s- trying to sell it to young people. And so, yeah, to me, the Players Association Major League Baseball ought to get together. I've got a food question. Yes. I saw an article that said you should clean your grill with an onion the other day. Have either of your guests ever heard of something like that? I read I read that article. You did? Yeah. <laughs> and they tell you to use a half an onion and stuff, and they said it works better than any kind of cleaning solution ever. So I, w- I was going to try it the next time I grilled, just to be honest with you. I haven't yet. How funny. I, you know, I, I, I've, I've heard about it, but I haven't tried it. I have what I do to clean the grill. And, uh, and it, 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 I've got this uh, metal brush, very stiff bristles. And then uh, I turn the heat up all the way after I'm done grilling. And, uh, and then uh, I, I uh, take the brushes to the grill and uh and then i take an oiled cloth and back and forth and then the the grill brush again then turn the heat up all the way and then turn it off and uh it but i can see where after doing all that when the grill is still hot to take an onion and rub it back and forth half an onion that might be a a pretty unique way to do it the, uh, yeah, I, um, I'll be curious now. So, Greg, so you cut the oven in half and the the oven. You cut the onion, onion. in half? Yeah, and you usually have it on like a, a you know, like a, a long utensil that basically has a fork, but it's longer. Yeah, yeah. And then you go back and forth, and then apparently the enzymes in the onion, um, with the heat and stuff, it's got just enough moisture, it slides along, and it... It takes away all that yep. grease and grime and shit, and then you don't have that black stuff on your food and stuff. So I, I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what it, what it, you know, how it does. Yeah, me too. Here's another question, Mac. I have a question about about baking bacon. Do you flip the bacon over, or is it no. just baked on one side? You first of all, you put it on a raised, you put it on a cookie sheet, but on a raised rack. Um, so the, the air can flow in, in the bottom. At least that's the way my wife does it. And the bacon lays flat and it's the most crispy thing on earth. It is to die for. The only way to do it, Greg. On a raised, on a raised, on a a raised rack. Are there special like racks used just to cook bacon? No, I have a, like a a raised rack. Yeah. They're in all the stores. Yeah, take, or else I take a, a rack from my smoker, turn it upside down, and put it on the cookie sheet, and there you go. And then the best part about it is after it's done cooking, you could pour the bacon grease in a cup, and that's you could use that for the rest of the month. Yep. Bacon grease, you're in the front row with bacon yep. grease, man, for cooking Absolutely. potatoes or whatever you want. Anything. 
So if he's so if he's baking it without a raised rack, uh, would they have to flip it? No, no. It's, it's, I, I would it's, I would put I would put it on a piece of parchment paper, paper. Yeah, and lay them out flat side by side, and then bake them that way. Just and make sure still, none is overlapping, right, Kim? Don't overlap the bacon. No, do not. That's exactly right, Greg. No bacon overlap. No. Wow. None. Wow. Wow. Interesting. The um, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian, so I I don't know. Well, Greg, do you want to talk about your freezer disaster this week, or is that too emotional for you? Uh, I my my freezer is fixed. Um, I just reset it. We did lose some food, but I thought I lost the whole freezer. But when someone leaves the door open to the freezer and the motor overheats because it's 96 degrees, uh, you start cooking a lot of stuff. But I thought I was going to have to buy a total new freezer. And I would say that to the emailer um, or texter to you that he I don't know why he chooses to uh, go on the radio and use an intermediary. He might as well just talk to me. No, that was mine. He didn't. He, he didn't do that. He no, didn't, no, that was just me because you and I talked about it earlier this week. Oh, I you know. I, I just thought you, I thought he, I thought he emailed you to remind you. No, 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 no. I, I that just pop, that just popped into my head. The um, so the it's it was what a hundred degrees or so in North Dakota. The freezer yeah. door gets left left open. The engine goes on nonstop and overheats, safety yeah. mechanism trips, and then did, did you reset it? Did it, somebody come out and look at it and say, oh, you hit this button? Well, I, I read some things, Got it. and they said leave it off for a day or so and let it cool down, right, cool down. And uh, I tried it, and then I you know, reset the breaker and plugged it back in. And after it has that deal where it shuts off the motor for safety reasons, it it resets that and everything. So I put a big thing of water in there, a cup of water, and crossed my fingers, came back the next morning, and she was frozen solid. So I was like, yippee. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Because Greg. there's a shortage on uh, – see, I, most of the upright freezers in North Dakota are outside in the garage. And there, there's a shortage on freezers and fridges because due to COVID. So I don't even know if I would have been able to find one. And the way my family eats, I have to have a freezer. It took us eight months to get a new fridge-freezer combo. Wow. Yeah. yeah. From from our favorite uh, restaurant, I mean, supply guy. Yeah. I mean, they could not get them in. And we waited why, and waited and waited. A shortage. We finally got the right one, though. Well, look at even lumber prices because of COVID. You know, they went. Yep. That's they right. had a they had a picture of uh, a guy had a picture of this stack of lumber, and last year he paid thirteen hundred dollars. This year, for the exact stack of lumber that he had, was forty two hundred dollars. Whoa. So Whoa. yeah. Lumber went through the roof, so if you're building a house and stuff, this year is not the year to do it. Uh, concrete blocks. 
There you go. How about the United States is experiencing a temporary shortage of freezers. This was caused by an industry-wide ongoing conversion to hydrocarbon refrigerants to comply with many yeah. states' new environmental regulations. Wow. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. The um the uh I did uh I moved my studio that I do the podcast in out into my garage where I have a video uh studio that I built. And I have to tell you I might I might move my bed into the garage. It's that good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you. So Colleen has this big screen TV in her house in her, in her in her room that somebody gave me, and I and and I had another smaller TV that Patrick left, and I said, "Hey, you know, to go on your desk, would you rather have the smaller one?" And she said, "Yeah." And I thought, "Well, what she do I do?" That? Well, yeah, I mean, I well because you know space for makeup mirrors and shit like that. You know, it's girl shit. So a boy would a boy wouldn't have bought that. Exactly. No, not a. Come on, Dad. Are you kidding me? So. I take the TV and I'm like, what am I going to do with it? And I look and I'm like, I got a wall mount in my old studio that I used. I wonder if this has a wall mount bracket on the back. And it did. So I have the big screen TV wall mounted to the wall of the garage. I got the whole apparatus here in one spot. It's like, I don't know. It's like my own little... Slice Bruce. of heaven. Oh, my God. Yeah. In, slice of the world. In, hey, in the garage. In the garage. Now, when it gets really hot, I'm not sure how it's going to work. When it gets really cold, I'm not sure how it's going to work. But as long as it's not, neither of those, it works just fine. Yeah, so, but how cold is it really going to get there? Well, it's different cold. I have to say that. I know what uh, yeah. you're going to say. But, again, my kids used to ridicule, right, <laughs> you know, People out here, but I'm telling you, like, when you get low 60s in California, it's like being in the 30s in North Dakota. And I don't know if it's because of the humidity in the air uh, when that happens or what, but it feels or different. If you, or if you just lost a ball when you left. Exactly. Exactly. But, right, my kids now say the same thing. Like, yeah, I thought that was bullshit, but I'm freezing. Right? So, I don't know. Maybe it is bullshit. Maybe your blood just does thin out. But... But we will see. But uh, but I just bought. So my studio in in the in the garage is is kind of a ninety degree wall setup, right? So that's if you could imagine two fake walls built inside your garage, right? And they have uh, they have like wallpaper on them and beams on them, and kind of like a Hollywood set, a cheaper than shit parquet. Linoleum stickum floor, right? A great looking desk. So that's the back. So that's the background. Now behind that, there's an alley in front of the garage door because the garage door is permanently closed now, and and to one side. So I have a fluorescent light on one side. I got a motion LED light to put in the second alley. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. You need a disco ball. <laughs> Motion LED light. <laughs> I don't even have to turn the son of a bitch on. When I go out, walk around the corner to walk back in the alley, right, because I hang cords and, and shit like that back there that you need, the light magically goes on. Yeah, that's wow. the kind of shit that's going on in my new consolidated studio. <laughs> yeah. And see, just like Greg in his freezer, 
Nobody else would know that makes him happy. Right? For me, for me, yeah. I think I've gone through like $2,000 worth of zip ties too to make sure everything's like, everything's wired and shit like that. And so, in fact, I made the decision the other morning at like 5.50 and I thought, you know what? It's not going to take me two hours to move this. And at 7.59, all the things plugged in, I went on the air at 8. It was domination. Wow. Exactly. And I said, great men, right, endeavor great things. To which a friend responded, and stupid men endeavor stupid things. And, Mac, I think I could quote your dad by saying, the dog shines on a – wait, the sun shines on a dog's ass every once in a while. You got lucky. (laughs) And, you know, that's probably a little bit true, but I was fired up about it. I was fired up. And – and uh and so and so it goes. What uh anything uh new or exciting going on? Kim, anything new or exciting? Not for us. Uh best birthday is Sunday. Oh and, uh, take, well happy birthday to I'm Beth. taking her out for brunch. And uh Where are you going? That's what, we're gonna go to Skies. Oh. They're open Chad for brunch. Yeah, yeah, they open at ele- uh what, ten or eleven? Ten o'clock. And uh, we've been there with them a couple of times. It's really nice. And uh, spend a few hours and shoot the shit. Find out what's going on with Chad and the painting community. Uh, he's a very busy buckaroo. Uh, and uh, that's about it. But I'm very excited to take Beth out for brunch. Oh, that's so cute. That is cute. <laughs> what about you? What about you, Greg? Anything uh, new and exciting in the middle of summer? No, uh, just uh, my kids are going to be pretty much all at the lake this weekend with their friends. And Heather and I usually go to the farmer's market on Saturday mornings. Uh, so I'm waiting for the first tomato of the year to have my have my garden BLT because the tomatoes in the grocery store suck rocks. Exactly. And, uh, the B- yeah, uh, so the, the BLT the BLT is one of the greatest sandwiches ever. Bacon, oh, come on. Yeah, we we went to the farmers market last Saturday, and uh, there was nothing there. Yeah, it's just too early in the season. Then. And I ask Allard's, you know, like when's the corn coming? Two weeks, and uh, the Hooterites, you know, vegetables another couple of weeks. So. It's getting close, so I, I like the farmers. A couple market. of weeks, you're going to be in the middle of July, man. Falls right around the corner. That's the way it Shit. goes here. I know. Shit, after, after June 20th, we're losing two two minutes a day <laughs> on the light. So I didn't I'm know. Sorry to, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you were a scientist. No, I just read Greg, a lot. Greg is definitely a scientist. He is definitely a scientist. Were you a good yeah. student? What was your GPA? Uh yeah, I was a very, I was a very good student. Yes. Did you get A's? Yes. In college. Yes. Really? I was an I was an academic all American. Oh my God! So what's the criteria for being an academic all American? What's the GPA? I have no idea. It was whatever it was like three eight something? Oh, I thought it was like two two or something like that. No, that's <laughs> that's just that's just keep eligible. <laughs> 
Got it. Got it. Kim, were you a good student? No. Didn't care to. No. D- did not apply I had a yourself. Great time though. <laughs> Uh, Kim, I was... Kim, Kim is a student of life. Oh. Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, yeah. I, I did real well in uh, things like geography, history, uh, but give me biology or trigonometry, I sucked. That was not well, very good. I think all that time doing trigonometry is a waste of goddamn time because I've never had someone pull a gun on me and say, give me Pythagorean's theorem. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, Yeah, you know, I I was probably more like Kim in that I, what I was interested in, I used to do really well in. uh, and me too. Yeah, and then, but I wasn't interested, you know, I, I was not interested in math. I was not interested in science at all. You know, and I just, you know, I memorized what I had to memorize. And so I was like a yep. solid, you know, anywhere from 2.7 to 3.1, 3.2 uh, GPA. And uh, and then with consistently getting student achieving below a parent capability on my report cards that my parents I, used I was, to bitch me out about. I was a solid C. <laughs> <laughs> That's somebody who really doesn't give a shit. Really doesn't really doesn't give a shit. Um, let's see. I had a I had a science teacher uh, in school who said, "Holmes, you're going to get your degree in the school of hard knocks." And <laughs> I, and then he started laughing. I says, "I think you're right, Frank." <laughs> he says, "Yeah, well, good luck." <laughs> and that was that, and I did. I got a doctorate in the School of Hard Knocks in hey, foodology. <laughs> everyone had those special teachers that you loved and ones that you absolutely hated. I'm sure we could go round and round, but uh, Mac, I, I got to head out. I got to head out, so I'll say goodbye to you and Kim until next week, and uh, hopefully you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy your new studio, Macker. Yeah, all right. Well, look, I'm getting out of here too. So you guys, uh, first of all, thank you for doing this, and have a great weekend. Stay cool. And uh, yes. Kim, good luck at brunch. Yes, thank you very and much. Happy, Thanks for happy happy birthday, happy birthday. All right, guys. Yes, happy birthday. All, all right. right, take care, boys. All right, see you later. There you have it, um, Kim Holmes and Greg Lotus. The um, yeah, I was in great student. That you don't know. No, I mean, I didn't try, and then um, I yeah. I, I should have been a better student because then when I started writing and things like that, my dad said, why didn't you like do this stuff in, in school? I said, I wasn't interested. Wasn't interested. I, and, and I believe that on teachers. I mean, I think the art of teaching is making it interesting. So yeah, that's my, that's my story. That's my story. Um, I want to play for you. Uh, this part two of the Mensa uh, discussion. So I think this is about another 20 minutes about, um, this is another 20 minutes about Afghanistan. So, uh, so yeah. So if you missed the first part, right, let me just give you a little summary um, about Afghanistan. There is not now 
and never has been a nation of Afghanistan. Okay? Afghanistan has always been um, tribes that have looked after their own self self-interest and there happens to be a line around it called Afghanistan. But it is not one country. And they don't look at it like that. Um, when you look at the war, the way these tribes would look at the war is as a money-making opportunity. Okay? And so, um, when you see fighting... Don't see ideal, you know, idealistic or ideologically driven conflict. What you need to see is financial conflict. Most of the time, you know, as power moves, and it does on a fairly regular basis, all too regular basis in Afghanistan, that stuff gets negotiated. Where you see violence is where somebody's going to take something from somebody else. So that's when you see the violence. Uh, so know that, all right. So the the war the war is a money making event in Afghanistan, right? The history of Afghanistan is that the outlying areas have never been controlled by a strong federal government, and so the fool's errand that the United States went on was attempting to create something that did that. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, we talked about that. The other thing we talked about is, um, and there's an article that you're going to see in this this hour's post, and um, and then what you're what you're going to see in the post in the article is this: these districts that have changed hands, those deals were already in the works. In fact, when you read the article, uh, what you see is um, quotes, and, and, and read the quotes of the article. That's the best part of this article, the first one that Tim uh, gave us, written by Franz Marty. And um, read the quotes. And, you know, one of the quotes is, often there was no shooting. You know, the government forces, they just left. And then the quote goes on to say something like, seemingly based on a seemingly based on a, a an, an arrangement that I'm not privy to. So anyhow, um, the article kind of goes through that how. Don't let things that the media is writing um, skew a clearer vision and a, and a deeper understanding of what's really going on in Afghanistan. And so the the article is very, very, very interesting, you know, relative to um, relative to. Um, I think a deeper understanding of of what's going on in these districts, and uh, and and the lack of a willingness, at least in these outlying areas, 
that will go back to the way they've historically always been governed of federal troops to die for that. And so they leave. Uh, the other interesting point is that the Taliban, right, the worst thing they do is govern. The worst thing they do is govern. And so people are very leery of that. Very leery of that. So anyway, um, so here's another installment of this discussion about, um, and really where the discussion heads to is, is in Iraq there's a, there's, there's a uh, the, the air base, Al-Assad, is uh is out in western Iraq. And um so we have a presence in Iraq to gather intelligence, to help support the Iraqis, you know, to launch aviation events out of um we don't have that in Afghanistan. And so what you'll hear people say is that means we're not going to have people there that are in close contact with Afghan intelligence people. We're not going to be able to help them maintain aircraft because our contractors are leaving. We're not going to be able to help them maintain vehicles. So when their aircraft can't fly and their vehicles don't roll, that will allow the Taliban possibly to take on Kabul and fight for the city. And so by the fact that we don't have a presence there, are we condemning is too strong of a word, but we are we opening the door for a fight for the major urban centers of Afghanistan because what that would have to happen is in order for that to happen, the Taliban have to be able to mass a force. Well, if you mass a force and and Americans are American air power or artillery power is anywhere near it, they will annihilate it. Literally annihilate it. Well, once that threat goes away, you then open the door for a major urban conflict um, in Afghanistan. So um, that's really, uh, so the, the second part of this, ask the Mensa brothers about that. So with that said, this is them. But you don't have your Afghan clans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they tend to they tend to be organized along a different uh, a different system. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Well done, Will. I'll tell you what you unified them. The Russians. Will, Will tricked him into contradicting himself. Hey, I man. R- Russians Russians were extremely popular in Afghanistan in the north, hated in the south. Really weird. I think it's the exact opposite now with Americans. That's what Franz was telling me, which breaks my heart. But if you spoke Russian in Afghanistan, you could get along with most anybody. They loved that because the Russians treated them. As individually, is much better. You know, they didn't they didn't have the, the the same force protection rules and their construction stuff. They had like Russian people come and they flew people into Russia to go to their academies and they sent an Afghan to the moon for Christ's sakes. Yeah, they the were guy like, we got sent to a Russian academy oh, after Afghan after, to space, yeah. rather. Excuse me. And the uh, but but when the Russians were on when they just had advisors in there, they killed them by shoving sand in their mouths till they were dead. Yeah, in Herat. Yeah, well, they get a little yeah, pissed they, at them. I don't think they're going to go that way with the Americans. Well, because we ran away pretty quick, too. That's the other thing. Yeah, that was not very How about cool. the press conference? Uh, yeah. Hold on, hold on. I want to talk about um, this idea of, you know, in, in Iraq, um, we have uh, 
I think the last major installation is out in the Iraqi desert, out in the west, where actually Will was the the commissar, the the head the head man out there. But uh, aerospace commander. Yeah, he was the he was the commander out there, and so um, I, I I was listening and. and Essentially, they're saying, look, our ability to support and NATO's ability to support is going to be completely negated because there is no remain behind force that that will that will uh, be plugged into the intelligence apparatus. There uh, will be there to provide aviation support and also be there to provide, you know, support for vehicles. And that slowly but surely this thing's going to grind grind down and we're going to be blind there. I'm just curious about your thoughts about that. Uh, and that was, as Timmy said, I think that was general Dunford's idea. Um, so, uh, so your thoughts on that is, do you, do you believe, uh, do you believe that? Do you, uh, we're going to be blind to what? To, we're going to, our blindness is going to, impact our ability to support them from quote unquote over the horizon that that is a straw man and it's just what it's just our cover to get the fuck out of there but but we're going to be blind to our to what to our ability to not abandon them with intelligence assets and aviation yeah you Dufford's thought was to stop them from any transnational terrorism type stuff okay no 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 that's not that's not what the the news reporter was talking about. It is supporting the Afghan military from over the horizon and things like that not not the ISIS threat yeah or the al qaeda threat the president told me yesterday or today, depending on what day this is, you talk, you talk that they've him? got 300,000 <laughs> well-equipped, as well-equipped as any military on Earth, I think. <laughs> I'm not quite sure of the quote, because he That's stuttered. It. All right? And so they need our support. They have 300,000. The Taliban only has 75,000. The President of the United States said that in public on Thursday, July the 8th. What possibly could they need our support? I thought we were talking about Iraq, though. Um, We're back on Afghanistan. He he said, in Iraq, we have that. In Afghanistan, we're not going to have that. And I say, again, to what end? And to the end is is to support the Afghan military... And, and, and again, the requirement there is that they have, no, they have 300,000 well-equipped. There's only 75,000 B-teamers on the Taliban. Joe Biden told me that. Yeah. Listen. yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, when you lost the Americans, you lost your contractors who were maintaining all the equipment that the Afghans were using. So now we've got so what equipment, equipment. does the Taliban have? And who's maintaining their stuff? I bet that I bet they got better friggin' uh, well, I, I don't know that. The president who, who of the knows? United States, what we what we do know aside the president from, told me three hundred thousand well equipped troops against the ragtag seventy five thousand of the Taliban. Yeah, I I would uh, I those those numbers are both clearly wrong. Some of them are on the same team. I mean some of them are on both <laughs> 
that, <laughs> and, that, and that's and, but, no, but but Matt, the thing this is, this is the second question. <laughs> we don't even get to the third question, and the argument is crap. And if you're saying, well, no, no, no. Here's well, your, here, this. This is the, this transnational terrorism. No, no, no. That's okay, not that didn't tell even them don't do it. That didn't even and come if up. They do it. We're going to come in and crush you. And then we're going to leave. That didn't even come we'll up. we'll be back in 20 years. The, the, the argument was what keeps the Taliban from massing and what ultimately taking major metropolitan areas is the air power that whacks the shit out of them whenever they do mass. And that we, so, will, we, will, negate, we will take that away because we left. And we will. Well, they have air, though. They yeah, have but, air. but it's not going to be. But again, the point is not going to be maintained. Within short order, it will not be yeah. flyable. But, Matt, and then they've got three and a half times the trained and equipped troops that the Taliban has. <laughs> they actually stop it, Mr. President. Stop you it. You know, you know, Mr. President, too much time in, in Washington. Tear down that wall. He's not getting off that point, which is valid only in the mind of Joe Biden. And, and will and will. But that's the but but but, but you Joe Biden's justification or that's someone's justification. No, no, no. But what you're saying is what is exactly going on and about what most people think about this thing, which isn't what me and Jeff think, God damn it. So, <laughs> so they're wrong, obviously. Well, and, yeah, and th- uh, th- this is how the dominoes fall, right? The, yeah. the, the, the airplanes won't fly, the vehicles won't move, and you're going to have a civil war. And then the president's pushback on that was, well, yeah, that's not going to happen. Because they have 300,000 of the best trained fighters, the best equipped fighters in the world there. And the Taliban only has 75,000. That's two and a half times, according to our Naval Academy graduates. They only lost 1% in two weeks. Yep. They can keep that up for like another 99 weeks. weeks. 99. I'd have to do the math. Yeah. You know. You know, I got a, I got a picture. I sent you guys a picture. That's of, le- hey, that's of, less than two years, for the record. It depends if it goes asymptotic, if it's one percent of the existing force or one percent of the original oh. force. So Wait, if it if well, it approaches an asymptote, they'll lose only twenty nine hundred next week. And then twenty eight hundred. So it'll take longer. Yeah, but then, gotta, but then, there, there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point. Whoever it is that figures out when Ramadan is, that's where you gotta, you gotta, we gotta hold off. Throw in like, how come Gosh, there's more the Ramadan fall. this year anyway? It's in the fall. It's, it's falling over. Yeah, it's getting easy time. So, hey, so that that was a serious fucking question, by the way. Hey, one. The lack of support, right? Well, I was going to point something out. Thank you, thank you, Tim. Thank you. I sent you guys a picture. Of a of a gas station that was built that was on the other side of Swan Pass, on the on the top of the chassis of BTR fighting Russian fighting vehicles that had been crushed and thrown in the river, so they could build that gas station on top of it. And I think and I thought when I saw that I took a picture of it. I said, well, they'll never do that with American vehicles. We'll never leave stuff here behind like that. And and now I see. Oh, yes, we Dozens did. of NRAPs. I can just see them we now. Did. They're going to be lowered into the river. You, you could go to Helmand Province right now and see them in what used to be Leatherneck. But I was, at, I, was, I, was in, I was in the Nimrods province, and I came across the, the, the truck boneyard of A&P pickup trucks, those Ford Rangers, right? In a country where anybody can fix a Toyota and keep a Toyota running forever, we give them these brand-new Ford trucks. You've got to have a computer to do the dis- to, to adjust the brakes. You need a computer to diagnose what's wrong with the engine. 
Those Afghans don't know what the fuck to do with those things. Even in 2010, there were hundreds of them lined up in the desert because nobody knew how to fix them because they needed a computer. Do you think the there's, got, a, the, the there's a business opportunity there as a spare parts? Like, I mean, you know, global. The only business to get, get into little... is a shit pump trucker business. <laughs> That's well, the business to be in no matter where you are in the world. If you can yeah. pump shit. You're the man. That's the only thing you can, that's that's worthy of. You know what? Most people don't have any idea what the fuck you're even talking about, but we know. Okay, Absolutely. we know because when your shit sucker truck right goes down, right within a few days, you have the pyramid of shit that comes out of the shitter, right? And then you're like, then you're then you're off doing, you know, your business someplace I, else. It's demoralizing. Well, I have a. Former Terp, I was speculating on this in 2005. That son of a bitch is a millionaire. A millionaire. He went down and he had the Hellman shit pump trucker friggin' contract for most of the Marines. I swear to God, I, I, I'd never seen anything like that. Where were those guys? Where were those guys? Where were those guys from? This this kid was from Ghazni, was a Hazara who looked Pashto and can speak perfect Pashto. He was he was right. my best number one Turk, well, but he was uh, he was from Ghazni, but they'd been run out by the Taliban long before. He'd been living in Iran. You know, uh, the uh, the thing I was not not to get serious again, but uh, the the idea of keeping a base open, you know, one base open with a with a minimum of troops in order to do that stuff. When they close, when they decide not to keep Bagram open, because Bagram's a logical place, you know, you, you could have shrunk that to, to a more manageable size. And uh, and done you done the Dunford plan as you guys call it, you know, and uh, and then you can see that, but they didn't. Is, you know, is didn't. I I don't know anything about Bagram where it's at because I never got close to it. But is Bagram near Kabul, close to it, or is hour, it hour away? Hour. Yeah. So it's not so it's much like all. It's not like Al Assad out in the middle of nowhere where you could see him coming forever. It's like an hour away from Kabul. It's like two and a half, three hours away from Jabad. Um, it used to it used to be in the middle of nowhere, but over the intervening years, villages have popped up right on the fence line. The now Russians, it's densely populated. The Russians yeah. made it what it is. Yeah, yeah. For me, if we considered Afghanistan to have significant strategic value, which we don't, then you could make an argument for this thing. But I sense. The reason that people want to leave a residual force there is to somehow redeem the sunk cost of the last yeah. 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, well, I, agree. I think they, I think I think they want to give, put something behind, we're, we're not going to abandon you. That means redeem the sunk cost. That's right. Is that what you, that means? Exactly I didn't I take that to mean that. That's exactly what it means. It is? Jeff, do you yes. think that means the same thing? I, well, I think the reason why people don't want to just pull out is so that we won't look bad. Like we, like we, one more, you know, that stupid horse shit about it's the graveyard empires. One more defeated giant trudges wearily and humbly away from being, having his ass handed to him by the Afghans. That's just not the way it is. I think you should grow up and say, hey, look, there's nothing for us here. The juice ain't worth the squeeze. Nothing we, let, we, we continue to spend here is going to be worth anything. It'd be one thing if the Chinese were the type of army that was going to march through Afghanistan and seize what's now Iraq, you know, take Iran and Iraq or whatever, you know, they're on the march. Then we want to make a stand at the you know, Torkham Gate, the Khyber Path. But that's not where we're at right now. We know? actually want 
the Chinese to go to Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, yeah that would be good. <laughs> go, to, go to Afghanistan. No, it's, no, 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 no. Boys. Robert, British guy, he says, hey, look, you know, uh, he gets asked, uh, you know, should we keep people here? What if the Russians take it? He goes, well, you know, if the Russians get in Afghanistan, then uh, then uh, they'll have Afghanistan, and they're welcome to it. <laughs> The more we hang, the more of us are in Afghanistan, the less they will like us. You know, I think, Timmy, if you want to do the nation a favor, why don't you email Ashraf Ghani and Abdullah Abdullah um, Belt and Road Initiative um, application papers, right? They're, 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 right? they're both of them way too smart for that, bro. They, they, I, they I, could I, fill that I shit. They, <laughs> they could fill that shit out, and when the Chinese foreclose on them, then they, ha- then they own Afghanistan. Man, I was gonna. If I wrote a letter to Abdullah Abdullah, I'd change my first name to Kenneth, so I'd be <laughs> Kenny. Kenny. <laughs> Maybe we just have some kind of camaraderie there. The um, all right, let's you want to talk about the press conference, Will? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the press conference, there's a couple conclusions you can draw. <laughs> uh, item one, the president's staff will never allow him to do that again. Where he has to read off a teleprompter and then take questions from the foreign press. Because he can't read and he can't take questions. Um, that was unbelievable to watch that. It was just, if, if your parents were in that condition, you would be jailed if you didn't go take care of them. Uh, and that's the state that he was in. In that press conference yesterday. Uh, and then it was complete Washington gobbledygook. Um, we didn't go there to nation build, but we're going to stay in support, particularly the women and girls. That's <laughs> maintain, we're going to maintain our diplomatic efforts. You know, we're not, we didn't go there to do this. So that's why we're leaving, but we're still going to do it. So that way in the future, Someone can cherry pick anything they want to show, oh, I was right about this whole thing. If it blows up in his face, if it doesn't blow up in his face. But I got to tell you, he laid down a heavy marker in support of the uh, Afghan security forces. And that's going to be hard to get away from if the thing does, you know, turn into the Saigon embassy. Uh, So, or, you know. Even something else could happen where they just say, uh, we're embracing the Taliban as our new head of government. We are an Islamic state. We are, you know, perhaps. Yeah. I, I just say, though, if, embarrassing that. That if is the seven scary. people who listen to this podcast have not Googled up that press conference from yesterday, if you want to sleep soundly at night, don't watch. <laughs> uh, don't. Oh man, I was a little st- I was a little surprised that he starts taking questions and it went for a while too. Yeah, but Mac, in the, I, I'm going to go back and count of of the first 50 words that came off the teleprompter. I bet he got 20 percent of them wrong. I mean, it was it was painful. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, no, then, and then he then he had a couple of funny. then he had a couple of pauses. That were like, yeah. You were like, again, <laughs> you're like, you're, you know, if your parents were in that condition, 
and you didn't have them move in with you, you didn't move in with them, or you didn't have them institutionalized, you'd be a bad son. Because that guy cannot be trusted to make sure he takes his right medications during the day. There is no fucking way. It's like the madness of King George. That's like... uh... Yeah. Uh, but his staff. How how never how old how old is he? He's, he's only uh, like eighty one or something. Yeah, he's eighty one. Not that old. Yeah. His staff will never allow that again. So well, what, so what do you mean the president of the United States can't take a question? It can't. Is that where we're at? I mean, or I've Joe, sat through Joe a Biden. lot of testimony. He never could take a question. Not- I've sat through a lot of testimony. And uh, if a Marine Corps general would have put on a performance in the Q&A like that, Commandant would have fired him. I mean. Joe Biden's it, 78 years old. Whatever. Jesus. That's not. He's, he's a, 81 when the next election comes around. He's a young man. Yeah, I'm glad. That that's the attitude. It's it's, it's if you seventy eight is the new fifty. Is, I'll if you look at his gait, I, I, I'd say he suffers from a 60s, 70s alcohol intake problem. Because <laughs> it was uh, diagnose it. I don't you know. I mean, because it was a, it was normal to drink a lot back then, and yeah. you could see him how he walks. He walks like an old drunk. Again, don't don't oh. diagnose that stuff. Don't go there. Just look at that video. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of good videos of Joe Biden. There's the one yeah. where he's owning up to be a pro- plagiarist, and then there's another one where he's <laughs> owning up to lying about his law school thing. Then there's another one where he's he's accusing the guy who his wife hit when she got killed. His wife's the one who crossed the line right. and got killed. He's accusing the guy of being drunk, and the guy was sober as a fucking judge. Right. You know, that guy committed was... suicide because of that yeah, shit. He, yeah, Joe I, Biden I, is one good. long story of one humiliation after another and then he's our fucking president it's unbelievable take all of that and who predicted and that off to the side who predicted go that? watch that video <laughs> Barack Obama, that's who predicted I, I predicted it joe biden <laughs> at least will says i predicted it i don't remember saying that shit. it's on trust me we'll dig through the podcast <laughs> use your search function use your search you function. said it straight up joe biden will never be president. Jill Biden. Joe Biden. Oh, he never has been. He hasn't been president since he got an upgrade. <laughs> if you're going with that excuse, that's pretty thin gruel. Jill, <laughs> Jill Biden is 70. Nancy Pelosi is 81. And Donald Trump is 75. We used to get together every week. She's been home from her last deployment for months now, and I haven't seen her once. Yeah, the truth is those guys those guys weren't even close on Biden's age. Anyway, um, they'll do it on a Friday. So Afghanistan, you know, what you're reading in a newspaper, uh, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, Afghanistan has never been a nation. The federal government tended to the major cities. And administered to them. And the outlying areas were left to themselves. To be run and governed as they have been throughout history. And so. So as the American effort there 
winds itself down, you know what will happen, right? The Taliban, right, will assert itself in the rural regions. They suck at administration. And so the question is, will they get after the major urban areas? Uh, what you'll get out of this article is that is that uh, the federal government is strong enough to defend them. What the Taliban is hoping is to put enough pressure on them to get them to capitulate. In the meantime, expect that you'll see more districts, quote-unquote, fall to the Taliban without a shot as deals have been cut, which is Afghanistan becoming what it used to be and what it historically has been, which is the urban centers being run by a quote-unquote federal government that administers to them and the outlying areas being run by themselves. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. So I thought I'd bring them back and you could listen to them. Have a great weekend. Uh, Mark Kansian going to join us next week and a couple other things I'm working on. So uh, Mark Kansian wrote an article recently about shipbuilding and the Marine Corps and the Navy. So uh, we'll talk to him about that. Have a great weekend. Middle of summer. Yeah, all about it. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. If I can help you help somebody, don't hesitate. Give me a call. All right, all that uh, contact information on the website will reach me. And uh, I'll do whatever I can to help you. So on that note, I'm done for the week. You have a great weekend, and I will see you on Monday.